Welcome to St. James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith, Edinburgh. This podcast features edited highlights from our hybrid service, which was held on Sunday, September the 5th, 2021. To find out how to join us online or in person, and for more general information, please go to stjamesleith.org.uk. in church and at home. A big welcome, especially to visitors. We have two from Sheffield, so it's lovely to have you with us in our service this morning. Um, just a few apologies. With the, we've got a very trendy-looking service sheet, sort of off, offset. Um, we're in the middle of doing quite a lot of uh, transitioning at the moment, and one of the transitions used a new method, um, and there's just one or two glitches. So hopefully by next week that will be sorted um, as we continue to try and get the technology sorted so that we can minister, have worship here and in people's homes. So we're doing a series on uh, season of creation uh, leading up to COP26, which is coming up, to really get us to think how our faith engages with the whole issue of climate change and our um, theme today is widening circles and from the gospel reading you see Jesus widening his ministry from Jewish people to Gentiles and I believe that if Jesus was alive today the environmental crisis would be key um, and that the Eucharist actually which I'll say something about later is uh, very countercultural um, against this the consumer growth model that we have in our world uh, and I'll, I'll say a little bit uh, about that later in the service. So really today um, is the beginning of creation time to get us to think about how our faith um, does connect up with these issues, that it's not just a marginal thing that a few passionate people uh, um, should be part of, but it should actually be integrated um, into all of our faith. faith. So I'm now going to hand over to Judith to lead our service. Thank you, Ian. Uh, let's just have a, a, a short time of quiet while we bring ourselves before God. And if you're at home, and I'm going to turn around because I'm going to look at everybody at home. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everybody at home. Um, or if you're in the church, um, uh, it, uh, perhaps if you're at home, you could light a candle. And uh, if uh, Ian could light a candle for us here in church while we have some quiet. As we say these prayers together, if you're at home, I invite you to make sure that your microphone is on so that we can all join together in these opening prayers. Friend and stranger, welcome in the name of Jesus. We gather together, putting our trust in the grace and mercy of God. Amen. Blessed are you, O God, maker of heaven and earth, giver of all good things. Gracious, 
Blessed are you, O Christ, Son of God eternal, bringer of good news to the poor. Blessed are you, O Holy Spirit, giver of life and renewal, uniting us in worship and service. So if you're at home, uh, our opening song, and if you're here, of course, as well, the life of the world, picking up on some of the creation themes that we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks. Um, so if you'd like to stand, if you're at home, obviously, you can stand or sit, you please. Praise God as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. God sets the prisoners free. God opens the eyes of the blind. God lifts up those who are bowed down. 
God loves the righteous. God watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. God will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise God. Shall we sing together? Praise God, praise God, oh my Together, glory to God, source of all being, eternal word and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and shall be forever. Amen. Holy, holy, holy Lord. this morning is taken from Mark 7 verses 24 to 37. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears. 
and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epfatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Give thanks to the Lord for his glorious gospel. Thank you. Let us pray. Loving God, open our ears and open our hearts to widen our embrace of those that we love and minister to. Amen. I'm going to focus today on the uh, first part of that gospel of the Syro-Phoenician woman and also refer a little bit to the same story in Matthew's gospel that uh, adds a few little extras on, onto the story uh, of Mark. Basically the same story, but just, just a few added things. So the healing of the Syrophoenician woman is, is one of the great encounters with Jesus in, in the Gospels, very memorable. But it's also quite a problematic text, um, mainly due to Jesus' response for healing, uh, being quite offensive in many ways, indeed racist, by referring her uh, as a dog. I think uh, the, the translation is little dog, uh, which softens it a little bit, but it's still a highly uh, offensive word in the Middle East uh, at the time and would be today. Um, Joe, who's lived there, is nodding. Um, where dogs are seldom pets, uh, they're more sort of street scavengers. So it's highly, highly offensive uh, response by Jesus, which seems very much out of character. And when I've previously preached on this passage, in fact, I think uh, I, I've, I've done it for the last two, two or three years, um, I've always stressed Jesus' humanity and, like all of us, that he undergoes a conversion experience, believing uh, at the time that ministry was for the Jews first. But when he sees the extraordinary faith uh, of this woman, he realizes that God is at work powerfully also among the Gentiles. And I think there may be some merit in, in that interpretation, and if that's what you've heard, I don't want to sort of knock that, but it still sits a little bit uneasily with me because that whole encounter feels so out um, at odds with the rest of Jesus' ministry, where he spends most of his time breaking any boundaries of exclusions. If there's a line, he tends to crash over it. So whenever I get in this sort of uh, bit of a pickle over a Bible story, I, I tend to try and go back to the cultural lens, a, a Middle Eastern worldview of Palestine. And I've done it in this story with the help of a biblical st scholar who some of you might know called Kenneth Bailey, who's uh, lived in uh, Jerusalem, lived in the Middle East, I think, for 40, 50 years, so has a real insight. And one of the differences that he highlights between our culture and the Middle Eastern culture 
is that we tend to read it from a very individualistic worldview, whereas Middle Eastern culture stresses the importance of community. And so what I'd like to do this morning uh, is for us to widen Jesus' interaction with the Syrophoenician woman, that it's not just a one-to-one um, uh, encounter, but actually Jesus' words are for the hearers, and in particular the, the d- disciples. So there's a double interaction going on. Jesus is not only speaking to the woman uh, in front, but also speaking to the community and the disciples. And in Mark's gospel, one of the themes is that he's always, he's mentoring and educating them along the way. And we always get the, the sense that they're a bit thick and don't fully understand what, he, what he's saying. So I'd like you to try and immerse yourself in the scene and imagine, if you will, that you are a disciple, um, remembering that Jesus had women disciples as well as uh, male disciples, and that you're participating in the action. Um, So if you can move from Edinburgh to the Middle East, cold Edinburgh to a dusty, war hot place in the Middle East. And as I said, I'm going to flit a little bit between Mark's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel. So the scene takes place in Tyre and Sidon in Galilee and begins with the woman bowing down before Jesus and pleading with him to heal her daughter. And as a disciple, you're shocked on two, two accounts. One, that a woman has the temerity to approach a man and a rabbi in public. And even today, I don't know if uh, Joe can confirm this, um, in conservative areas, men and women do not talk in public unless they're in the same family. Is, is, is that right? And rabbis certainly do not even talk to female members of their own family in public. So it's highly unusual. And added to this, the woman is a Gentile seeking a favor from a Jew. So as an onlooker and a hearer and a disciple, you are not expecting Jesus to interact with this woman in any way. And in Matthew's gospel, the woman actually cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, um, and, which is surprising. He doesn't, she doesn't say, Lord, have mercy on my daughter, have mercy on me. And I think this is because, like most mothers, her empathy and love for her daughter is so great that she's the one that's in pain. And at the end of uh, the story in Matthew, Jesus says to the woman, your daughter is healed. Um, uh, doesn't say your daughter is healed, but actually says, let it be as you desire. And I think that's Jesus' pastoral awareness, that as a caregiver, um, they're often at the end of their, their rope and in need of healing as much as a person in need of healing. And I found that really pastorally that I found carers are often as exhausted and in need of of much support as those who are actually being cared for. So that's sort of a side really. So again in Matthew's version of the story, Jesus initially responds to the woman's request with silence. And as a disciple, you think he's acting entirely in an appropriate manner, as any self-respecting rabbi would not talk to a woman. And this is made clear as the disciples beg him to send her away. But it's then that Jesus surprises you and everyone present by answering her and saying, it's not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
And as I previously mentioned, the word dog would have been highly offensive, possibly as offensive as the N-word in, in our current culture. It's that, it's, it, it's, it would leave that kind of feeling uh, with you, as dogs were regarded as unclean as pigs in that culture. And as I said, the, the, there's a hint of gentleness with the idea of little dogs, but it's still a hugely insulting term. And I, as a disciple, I think you would have been shocked, despite all your embedded cultural prejudices, by Jesus' use of the word dogs. And you're filled with mixed emotions. You're partly relieved at Jesus' response, because even though Jesus has broken the cultural norm of speaking to the woman, he is at least ensuring a boundary between the Jew and Gentile, that that is kept, the honor of the Jew Jewish nation almost. However, along with this would be a feeling of discomfort and unease because Jesus is verbalizing and giving concrete expression to the narrow-minded spirituality and prejudice that seems to go so much against his openness and his compassion. The verbalization expresses attitudes and feelings which when put into words and thrown in the face of a desperate kneeling woman pleading for sanity of her daughter are in fact quite shocking. Jesus' words would have been acutely embarrassing to hear as they expose deep prejudices that the hearers would feel when verbalized so openly and overtly. And then we have this absolutely magnificent response from this woman showing huge humility and courage, saying, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the little crumbs that fall from the master's table. Superb. The woman passes this entire test with flying colors. She accepts the insult and turns it with a light touch of humor into a renewed request. It is as if she's saying, yes, I know that in your eyes we may appear as little dogs, and as little dogs we deserve nothing, but the little dogs have thrown the little pieces of bread at the end of the meal. You are still Lord and Master, and I know that you can heal and that you have compassion for all. Do you have a crumb, a bit of bread, the same bread motif that we've been listening to over the previous weeks, left for my daughter? And you as a disciple are watching and listening, no doubt feeling deeply conflicted because you, like Jesus, would have had compassion for this woman. But your belief system forbids interaction with, let alone the healing of a gentle uh, Gentile woman. So huge conflict going on inside you and the disciples and the hearers. Her response is a deadly blow to any carefully nurtured prejudices against both women and Gentiles because she is showing such an unfailing confidence and faith that not even you as a disciple who followed Jesus all this time have. And that following on, as I said, from the, the bread teaching of Jesus being the bread of life, she's saying even the crumbs of the giver of life will heal her daughter. And she is willing to pay any price, even public humiliation, in order to receive the grace mediated by Jesus. And as always uh, with Jesus, compassion always overrides 
any belief system. Anything that's right in front of him, compassion overrides that. And you see that again and again in the Gospels. And he not only heals a woman, but restores her dignity. Uh, in Matthew's version, it says, great is your faith. So the silence with which Jesus began is now broken and ends with the words of uh, great healing power. And he says in Matthew's Gospel, be it done for you as you desire. And at those words, her daughter is immediately healed. So Jesus, in the story, exposes the prejudices prevalent in his, in, in his day and fulfills the beautiful words from Isaiah, which Jesus would have known. And the foreigners I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So in our story, the foreigner comes to the holy mountain, her sacrifices are accepted at the altar, and she receives healing and salvation for herself and daughter. And at the same time, Jesus penetrates the hearts of the disciples and other hearers, enabling an enormous amount of very sophisticated spiritual formation and conversion to occur. It's a hugely risky, risky strategy, but an effective and powerful one. And I believe Jesus was aware how deep-seated our prejudices can be, so he was prepared to take that risk. And at the same time, the Syrophoenician woman is honored and lifted up from a place of potentially being a little dog to being a person of great faith. So Jesus, whilst breaking a gender and racial barrier, ends up simultaneously honoring this lowly woman, healing her daughter, exposing deep-seated prejudice, and changing the hearts and minds of the disciples. That's not a dad, bad day's work. <laughs> and, and I think as followers of Jesus, in whatever capacity that means for us, we may think that we don't harbor such pre prejudices. But I believe that even in the most liberal context, that our culture and upbringing, certainly my culture as a, a white middle-class male a, a, and a Eurocentric background, will inevitably mean that we have subconscious prejudices and racism um, in us, and that it needs to be brought out into the open and our minds changed. And I give a, an anecdotal story of this. Um, in Sheffield, uh, we used to do a, a sacred space service, and there was a team of six of us. And we decided to do a service on um, uh, Black Lives Matter, on George Floyd, and what had happened. It was just after that. And we thought we'd take the risk, a, a controversial subject, but if, if our faith can't tackle controversial subjects, then, then what is our faith for? So we decided to look at it in terms of uh, silence, silence and uh, this and the good bits, the bad bits of silence, which was the silence that colludes and doesn't say anything, and the good bits of silence that often commemorate things and you're in solidarity with things. Anyway, this team of six and we're a very liberal church. We all thought we we're very inclusive, and um, on the team was a Brazilian uh, lady from from um, uh, indigenous uh, part of Brazil and a lovely lady. Anyway, as we discussed it, 
Um, certain things were coming out from the team that actually made me feel very uneasy. I wasn't sure how to, to challenge it. Anyway, after the meeting, to cut a long story short, I, I phoned uh, someone up and said, did you feel that a bit uncomfortable by some of what was coming out in the meeting? And they said yes, and I thought, what should we do? And I said, well, I'll phone uh, the Brazilian lady up and see what she thought. Anyway, I phoned her up and said, look, um, I felt really uncomfortable. It felt, you know, there were a few things that were... Um, that shouldn't have been said. And she said, uh, yes, I think that's right. And I said, well, maybe I, I need to have a conversation with, with uh, the person. And she said, no, no, just, just, just wait a little bit. And, and, and just, uh, we're meeting again in, in three or four days and uh, we can gently sort of, I'll gently um, uh, talk to her. Anyway, in four days time, um, we had the meeting and this person to their incredible courage actually said that I'm really sorry what I said I, I realize that I don't know where that came from but um, and uh, actually the whole process of creating that unearthed lots of uh, potential things that were inside us that, that would fail so I really believe that that you know that we can't just be complacent and think okay we we're in a liberal church we're inclusive we believe this that we actually do have to um, uh, be open to the fact that we do have prejudices that need to come out, that we need to say sorry for and bring out so that we can deal with it. So that, like Jesus, we can constantly be widening our embrace, widening our embrace in terms of uh, those who, who uh, come to church, those that we minister, those that we love, and that our embrace should actually not just be with humanity, but should be to our natural world, um, uh, which is really what we're doing in, um, in terms of creation time. We're trying to link our faith towards uh, what can we do um, in, in terms of uh, looking after the planet. And there's so many different things that we can do. Um, but with COP26 coming up, uh, that's what we will be focusing on. Amen. <laughs> Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. In the prayers that follow, I invite you in the pauses to hold in your heart words or phrases that speak to you and silently add prayers of your own. God of constant creation, help us to be alert to delight every day. To be witness to the ordinary unfolding in and around us, in prayers that are made out of grass, sun, skin, water, bread. We pray with gratitude for all manifestations of creation we have seen, 
touched and tasted today. For the faces we have seen, for food and all that allows it to reach us. God of connected creation. Remind us that we are part of the building up and the breaking down of the systems that keep us alive. May we be conscious and careful, generous and grateful as we eat, drink, wash, dress, travel, work, relax and connect. We pray for courage and consciousness in our own actions and also for those whose decisions affect the future of this fragile planet. For the UN Climate Change Conference COP26 and all working to mitigate the avoidable impacts of climate change and to adapt to what is already inevitable. God of compelling creation, help us to keep learning, curious beyond the obvious, inspired by truth in scripture, around us, within us, open to everything giving messages, moved by what grows in our lives, seat, seed, shoot, and leaf. Show us those opportunities in our lives where we have power to speak for creation, to convene, inspire, to prophesy, or encourage. God of compassionate creation, help us feel known and loved, although hurt. May we be strong enough in our weakness to recognize the brokenness of others near and far, known to us and unknown. Help us acknowledge and embrace the anger, grief, and disbelief we experience at willful destruction, environmental collapse, and our continued existence amid creation and extinction. Constant, connected, compelling, compassionate God of creation. In your mercy, hear our prayer. Thank you, Elspeth, for those very powerful prayers. Would you now like to stand for the peace? God has called us to live in harmony and peace with all the earth. 
We meet in Christ's name. Peace. Peace. Peace with those that. The Lord be with you all. Peace be with you, everybody. Peace be with you. Wherever you are, peace be with you. All in church as well. When I was uh, doing an MA, I did uh, one of the, my dissertation was actually on how the Eucharist, uh, how it connected with uh, environmental issues. And this was one of the concluding paragraphs that I wrote, which I think shows how countercultural this sharing of the bread and in usual circumstances, the wine, which obviously we, we can't do. But I said something like, as a society, we objectify the world around us as something to use, own, and exploit. One of the church's roles in changing people's consciousness is to challenge this dominant culture of consumerism and individualism and communicate as powerfully as we can that the world is not a collection of objects to be fashioned into commodities for our own individual use but that we are a community of subjects who are in communion together and are deeply interrelated with each other, and that this sense of interrelatedness, communion and community should extend to other species and our natural world. If we see ourselves in this way, the world ceases to be a commodity for our use. Instead, our relationship with others and the building up of community based on sustainable living become more important than earning money, gaining status, and buying things. The Eucharist has the potential to express this alternative worldview so that values of sharing, care, justice, trust, compassion, and commitment to community, world justice, and the environment then replace exploitation, selfishness, apathy, envy, mistrust, and individualism. At the heart of the Eucharist is this idea that we are a community of subjects who are in communion together and are deeply interrelated with each other. And in our increasingly globalized world, it becomes clear how our actions affect the lives of others, habitats and other species across the world. And it should be a constant challenge to our lifestyles. So as we share together in this uh, act of symbolic sharing at home and here in church, remember that we are a community that are connected together and closely interrelated with one another. Together and say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. 
Lord Jesus Christ, gathered in your name, we bind ourselves to you and to each other in the tasting of food and drink, symbols of nourishment and sharing. We break this bread for our beautiful earth, created and sustained in and through and by Christ. So we call to mind our responsibility to tread lightly in this uh, world, that with wisdom and care we may preserve the blessing of God's creation. Amen. Thank you. 